Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bubbles, and welcome back to the seventh Sunday after Pentecost for the week of July 24th, 2022, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I'm excited to take what we kind of talked about last week with distraction and being able to roll that into a little bit where we're going this week, but I feel like I have to give a little bit of an update with me. The mission trip that I ended up doing with my high school students was fantastic. We had a great time. It was really cool to be able to see how the different projects that we were working on were able to do some impact even in the Twin Cities area for Liberia, Africa and Guatemala along with the Twin Cities area. So it was super fun to be able to work with that and be able to see the long reaching effects of what we were doing. So that's been super fun. But I think it's also, especially as I kind of did a lot of driving this last week to be able to drive those kids around with the mission trip, I think it fits into really well kind of where we were last week. So the question we had for last week is, is there a way to be more constructive with our distraction? And I think a lot of the things that people brought up was just the realization that we are being distracted. And so one of the articles that I had sent to me from a subscriber was talking about how cars are becoming more and more distracting and that we're taking away knobs and different things. So it's forcing us to interact and pull our eyes off the road to be able to interact with whatever we're doing. And I know for me, as I was driving a different vehicle and seeing what's all in there, it was in times distracting. I tried doing it where there wasn't as many drivers to kind of figure out what was this vehicle all capable of doing. But I think another one that we got responses talking about just even realizing that there's things that can be things that we really enjoy, but that can be distractions. This idea of I have a ton of projects to do and I should be doing this and doing this and doing this. And then we start them and don't necessarily finish them. And so this is that same idea. And I think it's realizing is that first step. And then maybe being able to use these distractions to help move us in the direction on where God is pulling us, I think is a whole nother thing in and of itself. And as we look at the text that we have this week, I think there's easy ways that we can be distracted to be pulled toward one direction. And I'm saying with especially coming from a science viewpoint on these texts, and you'll see in a little bit. I think there's times we are taking two steps ahead of where we are, and I think it's first acknowledging just the basic fundamentals of what's actually going on, and that's when we actually start realizing how these texts are actually opening up a whole nother thing. Instead of us doing assumption, we should be doing exploration. So let's just jump into it. The first reading, the one of the texts can be Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. This is the hardest reading of the week by far. And the biggest reason is because of the language that is used in here, which is supposed to be in a poetic element, Hosea being written over 25 years and kind of warning the northern kingdom of Israel. But it's looking at and comparing the kingdom of Israel to a promiscuous woman and that how God continues to pursue us even when God is frustrated with us. And I think just being in the time and in the space and in the culture that we're in, especially in the United States right now with what's been all going on, I think this can be a very difficult text to talk about, but it's talking about how there's this marriage and they're having three children, but it isn't necessarily the greatest marriage ever. And how yet 
they are my children and I will continue to take care of them and I will continue to pursue my wife is what we get here at the end of verse 10 talking about this and this idea of how even when God is frustrated with us, that God continues to pursue us and continues to strive after us. The psalm ties in really well with that. It's Psalm 85, all 13 verses. And this is kind of more the repentance, kind of more the recognition of what has been going on, but then also kind of this pleading with God. We get like verse five, will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger for generations? Will you not revive us again so your people may rejoice with you? And then reminding God about the steadfast love and that this love that is all encompassing should pursue and is it's the righteousness that comes with that, the restoration that comes with that, that should be able to come through. But it's this pleading back and forth, this communication that we are having with God, recognizing, one, that we have made mistakes, but two, God, still can't we have this relationship? The other Old Testament text is from Genesis chapter 18, verses 20 to 32. This is talking about how God is hearing the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah and how much sin is in there and that maybe we should just start over. And this is where you get Abraham kind of sitting there. And it's an interesting text in the aspect that suddenly Abraham has this epiphany of asking God and going through 50 to 45 to 40 to 30 to 20 to 10, 20 to 10. This idea of is it not worth saving for these people who are trying to be faithful. This idea of us exploring with God, what does it mean? Like, how deep is the love of God? How far and vast is that love that God is willing to reach down and continue to reach and continue to reach and continue to reach? This continuing pursuing of us, which we kind of get a little bit in that Hosea reading, but also here again in the Genesis, this continued pursuing of how far does that love really go? The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 138, and this then is talking about how seeing that love and how much that God is willing to do, that this then opens us up to seeing the praise that we deserve to give to God, but then also how great God is and how low in a lot of ways we are, but yet he still continues to pursue us and love us and care about us to have this relationship back and forth. The second reading is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15, and optionally 16 to 19. This text is Paul walking through a little bit of the history of what has gone on with these Colossians. So you have kind of this division of things that are going on. First, the people having grown up in more Greek ideals are looking at, is Jesus just another God that we worship? And then all these other people that we bow down to, along with that you're having then the Jewish culture of following the law that is sitting there and Paul kind of getting frustrated where this is not what this is about. This is not just another God you worship. This is not this guy who is then came into the world, but yet we still follow all the laws of the Torah, recognizing that this is kind of breaking down the Sabbath, breaking down the feeding on specific foods, specifically like pork, 
breaking down the circumcision stuff. This is all bringing us together of, no, Jesus broke these chains and that this is a new life that you are being welcomed into. And especially in verse 19, where he starts recognizing us as ligaments and sinews, which sinews are like types of ligaments of the body of Christ, that this is all structure to hold us together. Now, ligaments are used to kind of help hold bones together. So this is helping to develop the framework of who we are as the body of Christ so that Jesus came in and that it's helping us to understand that we are helping to hold the body of Christ together. The gospel text this week is out of Luke chapter 11 verses 1 to 13. This is a text that we're probably more familiar with Matthew's version of this, where Matthew kind of lays out the Lord's Prayer, but this is where we get Luke's version of this. And remember, Luke is writing to a group of people who aren't as familiar with the Jewish-Israel culture at this point. So the disciples are asking, John taught his disciples to pray, can you teach us how to pray? And so he starts with When you pray, you ask, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we forgive anyone who indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And then he gets into more of this parable. But I think before we even get to that, recognizing that these are probably more subjects that, okay, make sure you're praying about the kingdom coming and get into that a little bit more and give us each day our daily bread and then go into that and discuss that with this. Not this prayer of this is what you pray every time, but giving more depth, giving more detail. But he gets into starting in verse five. Suppose you have a friend who comes at midnight. You go to another friend, you knock on the door asking if you have some loaves of bread because you don't have any. And the friend answers with, do not bother me. The door is already shut. It's been locked. The children are in bed. I can't get up. And this idea of, does that friend still not figure out a way to at least give you bread? And then getting into, if a little bit later, if you ask for a fish, would you get a snake instead? Or if your child asks for an egg, would you give it a scorpion? And this idea coming in verse 13 For how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit for those who ask them? This idea of the Holy Spirit in this abundance that is giving. But I think the point that I'll be focusing in a lot on coming here in verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For anyone who asks, receives, and anyone who searches, finds, and for anyone who knocks, the door will be open, coming from verses 9 and 10. There's a lot that we need to dig into that, and we'll explain a little bit more here in a moment. But before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do a shameless plug. Boom! Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between the Sermon Brainwaves podcast, the commentaries, the discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give me some direction for their podcast. The Working Preacher podcast, having three to four different seminary professors from Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, along with having multiple different commentaries through the multiple times they've gone through these cycles to be able to bring up and think about some different things, along with some amazing discussions that's going on over there. So if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend that. 
but I'd also highly recommend checking out the revised common lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy using it not only on how they lay out the text each week, but I really enjoy being able to look at the art. And beautiful thing about art is we can go throughout time, we can go through multiple different spaces and how different people are interpreting those. So if you haven't checked out the revised common lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. As I was kind of saying, as we were summarizing the text, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For anyone who asks, receives. Anyone who searches, finds. Anyone who knocks, and the door will be opened. And as I come in with a scientific viewpoint, this is the scientific method right here. This is exactly, to me, what this is all about. Because the problem where I see this being a stumbling block is I ask for this and I didn't get it. And the problem that I see with that is you asked and expected a result. You asked for a specific thing and when the result didn't come the way that you expected, suddenly there was a problem. You see, to me, this is the scientist in its element of truly asking questions. And I've stated on this podcast multiple times before, any good research will walk away with more questions than it has answers. You should go into an experiment hoping that you answered potentially one question, have some support for one question, but it opens up the door to five more questions. Is that not what our faith life should be like? That we're asking and it will be given to you in whatever way, but maybe that causes us to think. And when we do ask and we are given exactly what we hypothesized, do we make sure that we spend the time to give thanks? There's a study that's going on right now that I find very interesting, and I'll attach links in the show notes below, that I think reiterates this in a lot of ways. And we've talked about this a few different times in the podcast, but it keeps being this interesting development of a story. We've talked about the ivory-billed woodpecker, and about a year ago, the Department of the Interior decided to say, no, this is now, it's extinct. We haven't seen these at an official documented sighting since 1938. They are dead. There's been a lot of circumstantial evidence that they're potentially still around, but not clear-cut how we're going to define it. And so thus, we're wanting to say these are extinct, so that opens up a little bit more freedom that we don't have to be trying to preserve this species. There was an uproar. And in, in that uproar, what is going on now is they've decided, to, okay, for six to nine months, we're going to open up this and that people can submit what they say is their evidence for this. And so now we're getting stories coming out on so-and-so is presenting this evidence and explaining why they think this is an ivory-billed woodpecker and not like a pileated or something else of that nature. Are we going to be open enough to be able to, from both sides, one, being able to hear constructive criticism when people are trying to nitpick it apart and say, this isn't lining up. Or on the government side, being able to say, we've seen this as extinct, but we're seeing this evidence and that there's enough evidence here to have us reverse our hypothesis. That now we're asking people and it is being given what they have as evidence. That they have been searching and finding what they believe is this. Is this lining up with our notes? 
that they've been knocking on the door and saying, no, it's not gone. Are we willing to be able to expose ourselves in that way to make ourselves vulnerable, to be able to see the potential evidence of what's going on, to be able to see what's maybe still out there? Another one is the James Webb telescope that we've gotten some images in this last week. They've been kind of flooding all over. And again, I'll attach some links down below. What is this showing? It's trying to show us, again, things way beyond where we have ever been with being able to take photographs and realizing that these photographs can take 10 plus million light years of light. So it's the amount a light year being how much coverage a light can cover in a year is a light year, how far it travels. So 13 million or 10 million of those is what you're looking at. So this idea of then we're able to look at some of these different things and expand what we have understood, trying to see beyond what we are understanding. And it's opening up the door to potentially looking at space differently, looking at the galaxy in which we're in differently, looking at the planets that are around us differently, maybe taking some of our preconceived notions of what we assumed and saying this no longer supports that. We now have a new hypothesis and we're going to try doing some studies and maybe that's going to lead us in a new direction. When we are asking for the Lord in something, when we're praying and having that communication, having that open conversation, we have to be okay with we're not in control. God is. So there might be things that we're asking for that just don't work with where God is wanting and saying, no, I'm trying to open something else up for you. We see in these texts, the Old Testament texts, the way that God will pursue us and the way that God does love and care about us. And we see in Colossians that what is Paul trying to get the people to understand. He's trying to get them to understand your preconceived notions are not lining up with what Christ said he was about. What you have understood needs to be remolded to understand that, no, this was breaking change. This was making all these other gods that you had before useless. This guy broke all of that. This is a new way of life because you are becoming the body of Christ. When we are praying and what Jesus is even talking about here is, yes, we have a giving God. But it's also recognizing that there is things that we don't necessarily always understand in the moment, but that God is still working with us to make things better. And in some of our curiosity, we get a different result than what we are expecting, which happens in science all the time. Because in a lot of ways, when we're making hypothesis, and if we're making a hypothesis of what we assume is going to happen and it doesn't happen, now you've opened up the door to more questions. Was it a bad test? So we retest and know we're having this multiple times. Maybe we get another person involved to make sure that it maybe it's not our equipment or whatever is going on in this situation. Can we get someone else to duplicate it? If we do, okay. If we all were hypothesizing it this way, but it's reacting in this way, why? Now we have new questions, new things to be pursuing, new things that we are knocking on the door of to better understand what is going on. Have we, as a 
people gotten to the point where we're asking for something and we don't get it the way that we want it, that we give up, that we quit pursuing what God is trying to show us to help us understand? Because that is not what we are designed to be. Part of why I think faith and science tie together so much is we see a creative God. And we have always had this desire for relationship with God and thus to understand the relationship. We need to be able to understand the creator of this place, which means that we need to be able to go out and explore and have our curiosity lead us to these places. And thus, then we are understanding God. Thus, we were created as creative beings. Thus, we are curious, which is what the fundamental principles of this idea of science to know, to have understanding is all about. As we are tracing things where we're taking pictures and being able to in better clarity take pictures and try to get further and further into the cosmos of space or to the simple thing of trying to pursue and understand is a bird species that we have had trouble seeing for 80 years, 90 years, still around. And being willing and able to hear evidence, work with that, struggle with that, that's part of this. That's part of understanding the creation of what God has made. It's part of us being keen and aware and not overlooking things and trying to work within these. Trying to understand that our God and how this all works is so similar to the struggle and the angst at times that we get within the scientific field. It's frustrating when you are, have assumptions and have, have a hypothesis and finding that your results just are not lining up. There is nothing that can be more frustrating if you don't have like a secondary hypothesis because now you're going back to square one and having to, okay, is there another set of rules when we have certain things happen? What are we actually trying to look at? Is there multiple variables here that we haven't accounted for? You're re-going through all these different things. One in college, this wasn't the greatest experiment that I ever did, but it was an experiment that I did in chemistry. And again, I was not a great chemist. And I think you'll be able to see that a lot here in this story. When I was in chemistry, we had a professor who wanted us in lab to work on how do we remove sulfur drug from a liquid environment in particular, and that this has been something that's been an issue since sulfur drugs have been introduced in the 1940s, especially with World War II, and them being able to try to get that out of the water supply. And one of the things that is kind of known is using carbon can kind of help with that. And I remember learning in class where you have different families and groups and how they can act in similar ways. And so I propose for our group and not being the greatest chemistry student that, well, silica is directly below carbon. So why don't we try that and see what happens? Well, silica, for those who don't know, is what you put into like beef jerky or a lot of these different products to make sure that there isn't moisture into the product. And it's trying to make sure that it's keeping it dry and pulling moisture out of the product. Well, as you can imagine, when I'm dealing with sulfur drug and dealing with water and we're trying to remove this, what it was doing was removing the water out of the experiment. Thus, our concentrations of sulfur drug within the experiment were actually increasing as we were removing water from the experiment. So 
thus making it more and more difficult <laughs> and actually showing that we dramatically failed the experiment. I remember trying to graph it and trying to think about this and then us realizing the mistake that we had made of, oh yeah, silica, the stuff that's in the packets that you're not supposed to eat, duh. But that's also us learning, us coming to this new conclusion at that point that the silica packets and the packets that were in like beef jerky were the same. Understanding that, yes, this is something that we should be looking at and considering. These types of growth moments take time. When we look at what we're being told to do here, God is trying to help us through Jesus in this instance understand that sometimes what we'll be asking for isn't the right thing. It's not necessarily that God is abandoning us. It's that God is continuing to pursue us and work with us and that we have to be willing and able to do that. And just like in science, when we get the results that are different than what we expect, being willing and able to modify where we're at to change then where we're going, being able to see the things that, oh crap, maybe this has been distracting us, that we've been putting more assumption on this than we thought, and it's not helping us actually get to the actual result. This is something that is a happenstance or whatever, and that we base too much on this, but to figure out how this actually works, we need to go this way. So my question I have for you this week is, how often do you think like a scientist? How often do you get to that basic principle of, thinking just through the scientific method, making a hypothesis, and then being willing and able to change. How often do you think like a scientist and then are willing and able to change when the results aren't the way that you expect? Because I think within our own faith life, it's the same way. We need to be able and willing to do that. We see that in ways with what Abraham is talking with God about. We see that when God gets frustrated with us but continues to pursue us. and. Paul kind of recognizing that we have to be willing and able to understand where God is leading us and informing us and talking about what this did to change how things work. And in our prayer life, that's the same way. And I think in a lot of times we can get really stuck here and realizing that it's a communication with God. And as we grow and change, understanding that our relationship with God continues to grow and change also and helping us to understand that sometimes the things that we're asking for, we don't even know what we're asking. And so thus, being able to understand that also. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.